things in the uh, in 2019, and we're really anticipating uh, uh, the same and more for 2020. I just want to say thank you for everybody, uh, because that isn't one person or two people. That is a whole church body effort, and we're so grateful uh, for all that you guys did to make 2019 a success. And so thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, be praying for 2020. Uh, we want to continue to spread the gospel of God's love in our city, and we want to be a church that is in the city and for the city. And so uh, be praying for us. For some of you, 2019 was a great year, and you're looking forward to 2020. Uh, for some of you, not so much, right? Uh, just to be honest, some, some, for some of you, 2019 was defined by hurts and regrets. Uh, some of you faced health issues and great loss, leaving you feeling pain and grief and frustration in 2019. Uh, uh, for many of you, um, my office is, uh, it's kind of like a doctor's office. A lot of people don't come there to tell you your, your health is really good, right? <laughs> you don't go to the doctor to go, hey, I'm great, doc. Thanks a lot. I don't need you. Yeah, you, you know, they go, they come in there and they talk about the things that they are facing. And for many of us, the busyness of life has caused tremendous stress that leads people to uh, uh, anxiety and, and uh, depression. And, and I'm telling you, this is prominent in the church. And, and so uh, this is what has prompted us to bring you a new series called Walk in the Light. And our desire is to go deeper in our faith and our knowledge of Scripture in 2020. Uh, we've, we, we decided that the book of uh, 1 John would be a great book to take us there. If you have your Bibles, open them up to verse, uh, 1 John. It's all the way in the back of your uh, New Testament. If you need a Bible, there's one underneath your seat. And if you don't own a Bible, uh, take that Bible home with you uh, underneath your seat. Uh, let that be your gift for us today. 1 John is a great book to really dive deep into uh, our, our spiritual walk. The subject matter is pretty straight, simple and straightforward. Uh, Paul, or I'm sorry, John writes about truth. He writes about obedience and he writes about love. And so basically what is, uh, those three subjects, it's, it's right doctrine, uh, right living, and right relationships. These things, he drills really deep down into these three subjects. The letter's original purpose was to strengthen and ensure the believers in the town of Ephesus where he was a pastor uh, in that time. Spiritual depth is, isn't simply uh, about knowledge, which is a common misconception, like more knowledge will, will help us out. It's also about taking what you know and applying it to your everyday life in relationships, right? And so there's one thing that we could all say together. Uh, one thing is true that nobody wants to be characterized as shallow. We want to go deep this year. Nobody wants to be characterized as shallow. Going deep is a good thing. There's no one here that, that wants to live a superficial life. Would you agree with that? A few years ago, there was a movie called Shallow How. Do you remember that? I don't recommend it. It's kind of lame. But uh, Shallow Howe was a guy, yeah. Shallow Howe was a guy that was fixated on women's appearances. And he never really saw the inner beauty. He was so fixated on that. It was, it was just a shallow character. He was superficial. And nobody wants to be a Shallow Howe or a superficial Sue. Would you agree? That, that depth is good in our lives. The friends want deep relationships that you could have deep conversations with. Matter of fact, you would characterize a good friend by the depth of your relationship, of the depth of your conversations. 
Philosophers want to, want to think deep thoughts. Coaches want deep benches, right? Fans want their teams to go deep into the playoffs. And if you're a New York uh, or, or New England uh, fan, right? Sorry, you're out. <laughs> yeah, finally, 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 the dynasty is over. No, maybe not. Investors are hoping for deep recovery, and gardeners want to plant plants with, that have deep roots, right? Because depth implies substance. When something is deep, it's profound, it's significant, it's real, and it's enduring. And, and, and we want to be deep people that live deep lives. And if this is true for people in general, it should be especially true for Christians, that we don't want to live superficial lives as Christians. Christians should, leave, should not want to be shallow or have a shallow faith. Churches should not be described as 10 miles wide and two inches deep. Do you agree? That depth is, is important when we talk about our walk with Christ. And so this new year, we're going to focus on going deeper in our faith meaning deeper in our knowledge of God and his word, deeper in prayer, deeper in our dependence upon the Holy Spirit, and deeper into Christ's likeness. This is the call and the vision for us here in 2020. We also want to grow closer this year, closer in our relationships with one another as we strengthen our relationships in our church. Boy, we need to have strong relationships right here and now. And we do that in the context of community. And so we want to call you, uh, those that have engaged into community groups, back into community this, this month. And those who have not, we really encourage you to be part, to grow closer together to one another. Be part of a community group where you can grow in your faith and, and, and strengthen the relationships with one another in this church. We also want to reach wider this year to extend the love of, and truth of Jesus Christ with our neighbors locally as well as globally. And so if you received a bulletin, we have provided you a, 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 a sermon an outline in there. And the first thing I want you to write down are those three words. We got them up here. Deeper, closer, and wider. Deeper, closer, and wider. And we've put some explanations on what, what I just said uh, underneath, all of the, the, underneath those three words. And these three words express our vision as we set uh, uh, the course for 2020. Um, and we begin this journey in the book of John. This little book is tucked away and you're open to it now in your New Testament. It's actually a letter written by the Apostle John. He is the also, he's also the author of, of the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John looks back at the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And as a matter of fact, after we are done with 1 John, we are going to go right into the Gospel of John that will lead us right into Easter. And, and we anticipate that as we go deeper and we get closer and we reach wider, that there will be many people that will come and, and, and God will save and that people will come and be part and be baptized and be part of this family as well. And so we're looking forward in anticipation for that. John also wrote the book of Revelation, which looks at the future and shows us how God will consummate history in the return of Jesus to earth. Like this isn't it. We have a tremendous hope. When we suffer on this side of, of heaven and this side of Christ's return, we suffer with the hope that knowing that Christ is going to return. He hasn't abandoned his creation. He hasn't abandoned earth. That he is coming back and he will uh, judge the living and the dead. There will be sin no more. He will establish his kingdom and it will be perfect shalom. And this is what we hope for as Christians. 
And so whatever you're going through right now, people have tremendous hope despite, uh, in spite of what you might, the circumstances that you're facing because we have a God, a king, who will return one day. And John authors that book, Revelation, that shows us all about it. Then we come to his uh, little book here called First John. It's a very simple book. John doesn't cover a wide range of topics as Paul does in his letters. He chooses to focus on some simple truths and then he drills really down deep into him, into them. We get the gist of, of what John is trying to tell us in, in uh, chapter 2, verse 24 and 25 that reads this. He says, as for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, eternal life. He's really trying to focus, like, like this should be the center of what you're standing on. This is, this is the belief that we want this, these beliefs to remain in you. And so deeper, closer, and wider is the goal that we have in mind in 2020. And we'll be digging into John's letter to his church, 1 John. So with your Bibles open, let's read 1 John. Chapter 1, verse 1. He writes, That which was from the, the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we look upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that, your, that our joy may be complete. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the, this letter that you inspired your apostle to write to your church. And so 2,000 years later, God, we are hearing from you through the Apostle John. And I pray, God, that you'll open our, our, our hearts and our minds and our ears to what you would have for us in 2020 through this gospel. Lord, thank you for the grace that you've given us to be here. Thank you for 2019. I pray, God, for each and every one of us that 2020 will mark a year that we grow deeper in our faith in you that we would grow closer to one another, and that we would reach wider so more people can come to know you, Jesus. Would you bless that effort? And may that be the prayer of all of us this year. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So first John, this, this first paragraph here is, is not an easy passage to really read or teach. Uh, one thing is true, it's just a run on a sentence. Um, the, the English translation breaks it up into four verses, but in the original language, it's really just one thought. And so rather than trying to untangle it verse by verse, let me suggest to you that John is trying to tell us three things here in this paragraph. The first thing is this, and write this down in your sermon notes, it's this, that Jesus Christ is really alive. For some of you, you're like, yeah, no duh, right? But, but for this generation, the, this letter was, was written in the first century, probably in 70 or 80 AD, so it's about 50 years since Jesus had walked the earth. First generation uh, uh, believers, those who actually encountered Jesus were kind of like dying off. It's kind of like our World War II generation right now. We have a few people in our church that actually served in World War II. And, but they're in their 90s. I think Jeff Steenburgen is 94 years old, and he served in World War II, right? 
And, and, and he, but he was an eyewitness over there to, to some of the things that had happened over there. Right? And he would be able to speak with authority. He felt it. He was there. He smelt it. He, he actually engaged in it. And so he would have some authoritative word, right? So we're, but we are like second, third generation away from that. And so when Jeff, uh, uh, when this generation passes away, it's all going to be hearsay from there on, isn't it? And so that opens up. Uh, just the possibility of that, the, the, what happened over there, despite some of the great history books, uh, of that message and that, and that happening being just diluted. It does, because we can't come in and check with those people and go, hey, did this really happen? What, what, was this really going on in the day and age? You were there. You could tell me. You could testify to it. John's writing uh, to, to the same, it, with the same kind of intent. That, that he's writing to people that we might call second and third generation Christians. By second generation, I mean people who had never personally encountered Jesus physically, but heard about Jesus from people who did. And third generation would be like, like I heard about Jesus from someone who heard about Jesus from somebody who did. You see? And so he's writing into this right around 70 or 80 A.D., and so three generations later, you can see how things can kind of get muddled and maybe a little bit diluted. And so people would be curious, uh, 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 what, is this really true? <laughs> they, would, they would wonder, they would, they would actually say, did this really happen? Uh, doubts would creep in. In other words, uh, uh, how, many, let's see, how many people here are first generation Christians? I'm a first generation Christian. That means that your parents weren't Christians and you came to faith after that, right? How about second generation Christians? So your parents were Christians and you came to faith. Third generation Christians, your grandparents and your parents were Christians. Boy, it's kind of a mixed bag. It's pretty cool. The cool thing about being a second and third generation Christian is that you have the influence of Christian life in your life. And that's awesome. I kind of envy that. I wish that I was not a first generation Christian. I came to faith in my 30s. And maybe had I been part of, uh, of a generational church or, or a generational family, it would have saved me a lot of grief. Right? Uh, I would have had some influence in my life of a Christianity. You know, I would have had the church. I would have had the support. I would have had the prayers. I would have had the Bible. I would have had some understanding. The bad thing about the second and third generation Christians is what I've experienced here at this church is that the wonderment of Christ has worn off. And it's easy to wear off. And so because you've kind of grown up in it, it's nothing new. It's nothing exciting. First generation Christians always get that conversion story, right? It's like my life was going in this direction and now all of a sudden I met Jesus and then all of a sudden I'm going this direction. This is amazing. For, for second and third generation Christians, that's really not the case all the time. Some people have that, I'm sure. But for the majority of them, it's just kind of like, this is what life has been like. And the thrill has really never been there or gone. And so, so third generation, second generation, it, it could be the same thing. I've witnessed people say that, like, hey, the wonderment is just gone. I, and I don't know what, what you got. You guys are so excited about this whole Christianity thing. And I just don't see how, uh, what a wonderful life it really is. I've even had people come into my office and confess, uh, people that have grown up in the church and go, I don't even know if this is real anymore. I don't even know. I don't even know if there's any truth attached to this at all. This is who, who John is writing to. These are the people who John is writing to in his letter. 
he's writing to people that uh, their faith is just kind of weary. Their faith is like, it, it, it just doesn't feel real. Or, or, or maybe there's doubts creeping in. Uh, but this is who Paul, or I'm sorry, John is writing. I quote Paul all the time, so it's just going to be that for the first couple weeks, I imagine. Let's see where I'm at here. Yeah, yeah. So the majority of people that John is writing here, uh, uh, it, it never seen Jesus live. He never seen Jesus lies. They were going all on hearsay. And not only that, but, but uh, enough time had passed that false teachers were coming in and messing up the message too. And so some were questioning the humanity of Jesus. Some were questioning the divinity of Jesus. A particular strain of false teaching called Gnosticism was, was coming into here. And they were saying Jesus wasn't really a human, but he had the appearance of a human that he didn't really die, but he appeared to die. He didn't really have a body. He just appeared to have a body. So John writes this second and third generation believers at this precarious time in the life of the church to set the record straight. And he starts with this. He says, Jesus really lived. Like he writes, we saw him. By we, he's saying all of the first generation believers saw Jesus. Like he was really, really here. We saw him heal the sick. We saw him multiply the loaves and the fishes. We saw him calm the storm in the sea. We saw him raise Lazarus from the dead. We saw him. He was a physical being. He, he, Jesus, God, took on flesh, became human, became one of us. He walked and talked on the earth. And, and that's what he moves into next. He says, John writes, we heard him. We heard his words. He is the one who said, blessed are the poor in spirit. We heard him say that. We heard him say that I and the Father are one. We heard him say that. We heard him say that I am God. We heard him say that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. We heard Jesus' words. And then he writes, we've even touched him. We've touched him. Maybe he's remembering when Jesus actually washed his feet. Or maybe when he was reclining at the table, when he was reclining and leaning upon Jesus at the Last Supper. Maybe he's recalling those things. Maybe he's, he's reflecting on the post-resurrection experiences where he was able to touch Jesus. When Jesus told Thomas and all of them this, he said this. He said, Jesus says, why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and look at my feet. <clears throat> it is, I'm sorry, can you back up? It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, bones as, as you see I have. And so these doubts crept in, even in the midst of the first generation Christians. And so maybe John was recalling this. I've touched him. Hey, did, did, did you guys, do you guys know like every time a new iPhone comes out, you just cannot stand looking at, at commercials. You, you have to see it for yourself. You have to touch it right? You have to go see it. Somebody has it. You're like, hey, let me check that out. And, and you say that because you want to touch it. You want to experience it. You, don't, you, you want to see if it's all cracked up to what it's supposed to be, all the advertisements. This is kind of the language that John is using here. He's like, we saw Jesus. We heard him. We touched him. And I'm telling you, he's everything that I'm telling you he is and so much more. And here we are like 2,000 years later and being asked to trust and believe in the same things. John is saying, please, understand, we've, we've seen him, we've heard him, and we've touched him. And we're not like two or three generations removed, we're 80 generations removed. 80 generations removed. And, that, and in that time, questions and doubts will creep in and the message will get corrupted too. And so we have to do some work. 
We have to get into this word and listen to what God is saying through the Apostle John. And he's saying this, Jesus Christ really lived. If doubts has ever crept up into your mind, listen to John. He says, we saw him, we heard him, and we touched him. Now, we don't have time to go into a lengthy discussion on the historicity of Jesus, but we, but we have to be reminded uh, that, that there is plenty of, of credible evidence of Jesus' existence. We have the four accounts in the gospel, in our Bibles, four different accounts written from a different point of view, but they're all telling the same story. We have more manuscript evidence of Jesus' life and death and resurrection uh, from a bunch of people in history who were not Christians. We have this. If you haven't got the movie, I think it's on Netflix called The Case for Christ, watch it. It's an amazing film. And, and what they do is, is it's Lee Strobel's uh, book called The Case for Christ. And, and uh, Lee Strobel was a reporter in the 70s, I believe. And, and, and he was struggling with his wife's faith who came to faith. And so he went to the priest and the priest said, hey, listen, uh, you want to prove Jesus wrong? Then disprove the resurrection. And he went on this journey of disproving the resurrection and he couldn't do it. And God saved him through that. You got to watch that. And most of the evidence came from non-biblical sources in the, case of, in the case for Christ, which is awesome. Which is awesome. But we have a, a, a worldwide movement that bears the name Christianity, one of the most dominant and widely believed faith on the planet. And then, of course, there is uh, the, the, how the world marks time. Like B.C., before Christ, and A.D., Adonai, after death. There's certainly room for questioning and debate exactly uh, uh, what it is that Jesus said and did. Uh, this was uh, Tim's uh, testimony. If you remember that, Tim shared his testimony over the summer, and, and he grew up second, third generation Christian, third generation Christian. He grew up in the church, and then he was challenged in college, like, like why do you believe what you say you believe? And so he went on this journey of just going, God, why do I believe you? And, and God really bolstered his faith through that testimony. And so I think we should, you know, every seeker and every believer has to investigate the record for himself and come to their own conclusion whether Jesus is real or not. But if Jesus is God, which I believe, which he is, and he took on flesh and came to earth and he was with us, he spoke to us and he, and he changed things, then you should probably investigate it. Because if the Lord of the universe, the one who scattered those billion stars in the sky and created you that knows your name, you should probably get to know him. And, you should, and, and so John is telling us here, listen, I know you might have some doubts, but Jesus really lived. The second thing that John wants to tell us is that uh, we have really experienced him. Write this down in your sermon notes. Jesus Christ didn't just live, but he also changed our lives. Notice that John doesn't simply say, we saw Jesus and heard Jesus and touched Jesus. These are all kind of like past tense reporting actions. What he's saying is we have seen, we have heard, and we have touched. He uses what's called a perfect tense, which describes a past action with continual results, with continual results. He's not just reporting something that happened in the past. He's reporting something that continues to have an effect on his life from the time that he was writing. Let me give you an example. If someone says to you, I've, I saw Fenway Park, right? Uh, um, they're telling you that at some point in their past, they saw this picture. And we don't know, we don't know, or they saw this park. We don't know if it was in a picture. We don't know that it was uh, from, from uh, uh, an airplane ride going over it. 
But if they just saw it, but if somebody says this, I've seen Fenway Park, that just has something attached to it more. Like I've seen the big green monster, right? I've seen the, 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 the white stripes on the red clay. I've smelt the dirt. You see the difference? I've seen it is different than I saw it. And so he's putting this emphasis on, it, on this, that, that, that this, this touching and feeling and hearing Jesus, uh, it, it had a lasting impression on me. We, we don't just see and hear Jesus and touch Jesus, uh, we experience him. And the experience of seeing and touching him has, has continues to shape our lives. This thing that this moment that I had with him continues to, to shape me and, 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 and direct me and tell me which way I'm going in my life. His words are constantly rolling around in my mind and ringing in my ears. The things that he did are just so vivid in my eyes. And, and, and it's as if, as if everything is just running through that because it was such a monumental moment that I smelt it, I felt it, I heard it. And, I was, and this, this happening, this experience with Jesus left a huge mark on me that continues to drive what I do and what I say. John says this experience was so real uh, that Jesus has become our life. Twice he says it, verse one, he refers to Jesus as the word of life. Not the word about life, as, as if Jesus, his words or actions informed their lives, but the word of life, as if Jesus is life himself. And then in verse two, he says, we proclaim to you the eternal life, speaking of Jesus. Write this down in your sermon notes number three. Jesus isn't just the source of life, he himself is life, and to know Jesus is to truly live. You believe that today? John is telling us that Jesus Christ is life. The experience of seeing, hearing, and feeling Jesus Christ is for himself life. Life to his bones, life to his soul. Let me pause here for a minute and ask you this. Is Jesus Christ your life? Are you experiencing Christ in this way that it really moves you and motivates you and the, and the experience that you've had with Jesus just kind of colors everything that you're doing? I know we haven't had the privilege of seeing and hearing and touching Jesus in the flesh, but the point of John's letter is that life, this experience of Christ is available to everyone of us today. We can still see Jesus at work in the lives of the people and in the world around us. We just saw a 2019 recap of people getting baptized and saved, people being raised up, kids being affected, the city being blessed, the, the elementary school students, just uh, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kids' lives being changed over the summer. We get to see that. We get to witness his transforming works in the life of people around us. Uh, uh, two weeks, uh, we're going to have baptisms and membership reception, and we're dedicating babies. And, and this is all Jesus Christ's life work in the church today. And it's just an amazing thing to see Jesus work in transforming lives. We don't just baptize people to get them wet. We baptize people in faith that, they, that God has changed them. And baptism becomes the sign and seal of, of a miracle that God has done in a person's heart by regenerating their heart, by giving them a new heart, by saving their souls. And so God is doing this here today. Uh, we can still hear Jesus speak through his word and through the people that he places in our lives 
And even though Jesus doesn't walk the earth any longer, we can still feel him laying that finger upon some sinful thought or temptation in our life and then giving us the grace and the power to overcome it. As he, as he just holds us up with his strong hand, he goes, I know you're struggling, but I'm going to give you the grace and the power to overcome it. And, and I'm going to comfort you in the arms of my love while we're doing this. Maybe it's been a while that you've experienced Christ like that. Would that be your confession today? That, man, I, I haven't just walked close to Christ today. I, I, haven't, I, you know, I haven't felt the presence of God in my life for a very long time. And maybe I feel like today that I, I just feel like I, I don't know if I ever will. I don't know if I ever will feel this. And, and this is really your heart today. And if that's you, John wrote this letter for you. God wrote this letter through the Apostle John for you. He's writing people who call themselves Christians, but for a variety of reasons are not experiencing the fullness of life. Not experiencing the deepest of joy that's available to them in Christ. You might have a relationship with Christ and, 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 and you, just, you just feel so disconnected, but John writes this letter, God writes this letter to you. He writes this letter to this, this is what was going on in his church in this time. These people had a relationship with Jesus. Most of them did, but it was shallow at best. Some of them, as it turned out, were not Christians at all. They were familiar with Christ's teachings. They were familiar with Christ's people, but they've never really experienced a personal relationship with Jesus. On Christmas Eve, I, 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 I preached a very controversial gospel. And, and I think it's important that we do that in those moments because there's people that will come to church that will never come to church or they'll come to church once or twice a year. And I said, you know, you can't put your faith in a decision you made years ago as a child to give you the assurance of your faith. Because what you're doing is you're putting your faith in something you did and not something that he did for you on your behalf. And so Peter would call us to examine your faith to see if it's even in you. You could be around Christians all the time. You can, be a, 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 you can know the word, you can, but you could also be missing it because you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And listen, a lot of people want that decision to, to make it right. You want Jesus as, as Savior, and I made a, dece- a decision that, yes, I'm a sinner, and God saved me, and, and I'm going to pray this prayer, and I'm going to put my hope and my faith in all of that. But Jesus only becomes Savior right there. He's never become Lord in your life. And you wonder why. We wonder why we're not experiencing the great joy that comes from knowing Jesus. That he's not ruling and reigning in my life in the here and now. We can't just wait for his return for him to rule and reign. God wants your heart right now. God wants your heart right now. And you will not be dissatisfied. I promise you. It's very much possible that you've always thought of yourself as a Christian but never actually experienced a personal relationship with Jesus. Or it's possible that you're not, a, or that you are a Christian, you're not experiencing the depth of life that, that John is describing here. Either way, this letter is for you. And in the coming weeks, John is going to show us how to live deeply with Christ. And we really want you to experience that too. The third thing is this, that John wants to say to his readers and to us in his opening paragraph is this. Look at verse 3. That's that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship 
with us. The word here for fellowship is uh, in the Greek called konia. It's to share or to have something in common. It's not enough for John to just experience this life himself. He wants others to share this experience with him. In fact, in verse four, he says he wants it so badly. He says this, he says, and we are writing these things that our joy may be complete. Interesting statement here. He doesn't say I'm writing this stuff so that your joy can be complete. He's saying that our joy will be complete. John wants his readers and us to understand that, that, that his own experience with Christ would be lacking something if he isn't sharing it with others. You see that? He says, I'm writing you this so that our joy will be complete. You heard me go crazy about, I don't know, what was it, six, seven months ago about Mama Sushi. Right? And, and, and how just I love Mama Sushi. It's just a great place to eat. Um, uh, the same thing is true if you find yourself, uh, if you discover like a great restaurant, the food is delicious, the service is stellar, the ambiance is great, and, and, and you, you get in your car afterwards, you're like, my God, you're sharing with your friend or your spouse, you're like, my God, that was the greatest restaurant I've ever been to in my life. That's joy, right? You're just like, that was great. And then you share it with some friends. You're just like, hey, you should check out this restaurant. It's just awesome. It's just great. You're sharing your joy, Right? And then, and then you, that, that joy will even go deeper when that person comes back to you and go, hey, we tried the restaurant and you're absolutely right. It's amazing. Now you're sharing. The joy is increasing. But imagine this. You actually get all that group together now and then you go to that restaurant and you start ordering entrees and you're sharing it and you're passing it around and, and you order some dessert and you're sharing it up and you're tasting it up and everybody's enjoying it. You order rounds of coffee and, and you're just drinking it and everybody and you just, you're staying there until the place closes down. Now your joy is complete. You see, you see, this is what John is getting to you. He's, he's just like, our joy will not be complete until I share this experience with you or with somebody. Like this is how our joy will be complete. Write this down in your sermon notes. Last thing. Our joy in Christ is incomplete until we have shared it with others. That's why it's not enough just to go deeper in our faith. Just like, hey, I'm just going to knuckle down this year. My New Year's resolution is to, to read more of my Bible and pray more and get closer to Jesus. It won't last. It will be incomplete until you start sharing it with others. And you've got to be super careful that, that going deeper doesn't become self-centered and self-indulgent. doesn't become all about you. Uh, I've, I've experienced this myself. I just dive into a bunch of books for knowledge and, and it's lonely and it's never what the gospel was meant to do. God is saving people for something. He's saving people to follow him and be part of the church. When we baptize people publicly, we're baptizing them into the family of God. You have been saved from something to something and this is what he's saying. This life, this joy was meant to be shared. You know, your, your faith is deep when your greatest joy is experiencing Christ personally and you're sharing that experience with others. That is the mark of a deep Christian. And that's why our vision this year is to go deeper in Christ, but it's also to go closer with, with those who, who know Christ. And it's also to reach wider for those who don't know Christ yet because this is the mission of God. The questions are this, and I'll ask these questions. Are, are you experiencing Christ personally in this way? Are you, seeking, are you seeing him work in your life? Are you hearing him speak? Are you feeling his presence in your life on a daily basis? 
If not, it's time to go deeper. It's time to go deeper in these three areas of your life. This year, we'd like to help you do that. The second question I wanna ask is this, are you sharing your experience with others? If you are experiencing Jesus, are you keeping it all for yourself? Or are you sharing it with others? If not, maybe then you need to grow closer to folks who know him and reach wider to folks who don't. And this is the call for us this, this two, in 2020. And we'd like to help you do that as well. My prayer for Encounter this year and for every one of you is that we would go deeper in our relationship with Jesus, that we'd go closer together as Christians, and that we would reach wider so that more people can know the love of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. 